Hi, I'm TJ. And I'm Joseph. And this is Hi-Fi. TJ, how you doing, sir? I am doing well. Uh, Joe, I have a with I brought somebody with me here in the virtual uh, podcasting booth. I have a friend. Uh, he's been a friend of mine uh, online, and then he was a, uh, a co-worker, and then he was a friend again, and now he's a co-worker and my manager. It's uh, Kevin Smith. Fantastic. Welcome, Kevin. <laughs> How's it going, fellas? Virtual fist bump. Good to meet you. Good. For for reasons we'll talk about later, I wanted to have you on this episode as our first guest to to talk about some some interesting things that we're going to get to. Yeah. Um, well, thanks but, for having me on. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you. So, uh, first of all, uh, Joe and Kevin, um, I uh, want, I've mentioned the um, the Peel uh, case that I bought, and then immediately after the Peel case, I bought that Peel case. Peel came out with a new one. <laughs> <laughs> that mm-hmm. was specifically for the iPhone 12 mini and not just, oh, we made it fit the I- the old one fit the iPhone 12 mini. This one has magnets in it. Magnets, Joe. And uh, <laughs> so I bought it. It's a little, because um, I, I, I'm just a sucker for cases, um, it's a little bit thinner or it's a little bit thicker than the old Peel case, but I actually like it more. It's not quite as thick as Apple silicon, silicone case. Um, silicon, silicone, I always get those words confused, even though I know the difference. Yeah, the silicone. Um, so it's it's a little bit thicker, uh, but it's it actually feels a lot better. The old ones felt a little flimsy. So, Interesting. Um, Does this so mean I, they discontinued the previous version? I don't know. Actually, uh, you'd have to look on the website, mm-hmm. uh, and I don't want this to take too long because we have a lot to get to tonight. Also, um, I'm impressed that just by looking at the case, it is a little opaque, so a little bit transparent. You this, can see. Yeah. The so Apple this one's logo. not. The old one is. The new one is not. Okay. At least the one that I got, the black one, it, it is not transparent at all, which I actually prefer. I did not like the the slightly hazy transparency of the old peel case. So I'm always looking for thin but but sturdy cases, and this this is this is doing it for me. And and the magnets are much stronger in the cases than they are in the phone itself. So oh, okay. it sticks to my car mount uh, as well. So I want to move on quickly. Kevin, did you have anything to say about cases on phones? <laughs> <laughs> I saw it the other day, and I was I was just bowled over. It was fantastic. <laughs> I like a nice thin case though. I, I've got one that's very similar. It's it's um, not not a peel case, but I've seen several peel cases in person, and mm-hmm. certainly the next one I get will probably will be. They they look really nice. It's fantastic. The yeah. only thing that I find questionable about it is in the old case, it was thin enough that the buttons were flush with the case, and in this one, um, it's still cut out, uh, but the the buttons are a little bit indentated. I can oh, get to them just yeah. fine, mm. and it it's fine. I just don't know how I feel about it yet. I've only had the case for a week or a week and a half. Hmm. Um, whereas Apple silicone case it has uh, like a, a a bump out for the buttons. You know, they actually right. they dent out and then you, they're easy to. I, I don't know. It's fine, and I like the case a lot, so I'm willing to overlook it. And I, I don't even know that I hate it. So I'm not crazy fan of the silicone cases, Apple silicone cases, just because they're, that they, they, it seems to be like there's a layer that uh, wears off, and then it sticks like crazy to any surface in denim. It pulls the pocket right out of my pants. Yeah, well, even new, it's very difficult to get in your mm-hmm. pocket because it's so like sticky. Like stuff doesn't it doesn't slide very well, which stuff can get too like too slick. But you know, this peel case is not too slick, so I, I enjoy it. And taking it in and out of your pockets, basically the number one thing that I'm looking for. In a good case it's got to yes. slide in and out pretty easy right. yes yes how else am i going to check twitter 
It, it, exactly. Twitter and Facebook. Although <laughs> you don't do Facebook, so. No. Or just take to check the time on your pocket watch. That iPhone is just T- a really expensive pocket watch. Kevin, you're a big TikTok <laughs> user. That's really what you use your phone yeah. for. <laughs> well, it's, it's all the dancing, you know. <laughs> Uh, okay so uh moving on quickly safari 15 beta i as you all know and i think kevin i've talked with you a little bit about it i've been i've been using the betas on my phone and my ipad so i have safari 15 beta and i've been using safari technology preview as i've been able to stand it on big sur because i'm not (laughs) updating to monterey on any of my macs and um i think we finally landed in a good place particularly on ios i think the the design concepts that Apple introduced, uh, or that they their, their design goals for Safari 15, I think were good, but I think their execution was pretty poor initially, mm-hmm. especially that floating bar in iOS um, and and it just covering content. And they're like, well, we have CSS queries that are specific to us that you can use to make sure that you're. And I'm like, no, <laughs> that's just not that's just not working for me. So now what they've done with Safari is they've retained all the good ideas, which is moving the, the bars and the, you know, all the controls to the bottom so that it's easy to get to with your thumb. And, uh, you, know, it, when it, you know, when the keyboard comes up, it sticks to the keyboard, and just like other things of that nature do. Uh, but now we have a double height bar instead of a floating bar. And so we have all the controls back, and so we have all the, um, the URL bar is the way it used to be. It's just all on the bottom. Yeah, but the AA you can still menu, refresh yes, button. It's all back. Uh, and it still does minimize when you scroll, just like it did on the top. But now you, and you can still swipe the 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 tab bar uh, or the URL bar to get to the different tabs. I love that feature. Um, it was much needed. Uh, so I'm really happy with everything in iOS. It, it feels much more natural. And occasionally my muscle memory for going to the top still click, kicks in. But once I get used to it fully being at the bottom, it'll be way better experience. Well, don't worry. They have an option for that. <laughs> well, okay. I was going to talk about this later. But <laughs> I, I wish Apple would have committed to it. But I think they got a little scared because it was such a poor implementation initially that they've added a, a, an option for people to go back to the old way. And I'm afraid enough people will do it that there, it's going to be a, a bifurcated experience. And I'm not I'm not crazy about that. Um, but, but overall, I feel like the concepts they were going for were good, particularly on iOS. Now, on iPadOS and on macOS, we now have essentially the same look or the same design uh, of Safari, where by default, and you can still actually get back to the compact tabs in both versions, but by default, it is separated tabs and URL bar. Um I, I wish that Apple would have moved the tabs all the way to the top like Chrome and every other browser does. Uh, Microsoft Edge is what I use for my Chromium browser. But all of those have tabs on the top, even 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 as ugly as they look. Firefox has tabs on the top, and they all do. And Safari is the odd one out, and they're, they're kind of going back to that. But now they don't look like tabs. They look like buttons. But yeah. at least they've made them usable now. Because initially when they did that, there was hardly any differentiation between active and inactive tabs. And now there is, and I can live with it, and it's fine. Uh, that's essentially the same review for iPadOS and Monterey or, or Safari Technology Preview. Um, it pretty much matches both of them. I just don't understand why they have to reimagine the tab experience every few years. What's going on? And how do they have this much free time in the design studio? <laughs> yeah, I, that's what I don't understand. Like th- that was my overall feeling about iPad OS and uh, Mac OS Safari 15 is let the tabs be tabs. Like even if they can't, even if Apple feels like they can't be on the top because that's what all the other browsers do, and we got to be different. At least in old Safari. Uh, Safari 14 and previous, the tabs looked like tabs, and they made sense. Um, I, I don't understand, to your point, Kevin, why we have to have this 
new look that doesn't look like tabs. Um, but, but overall, it's usable, and I think I'm going to stick with Safari as my primary browser, and, and, and Microsoft Edge as my dev browser, basically my Chromium browser for the dev tools. I'm going to keep um, experimenting with it. I'm looking at the tech preview on my Mac right now, and that's where I'm the most iffy. I really don't like the idea of the button row of tabs beneath the URL field on my iPad. So I, I, I do prefer them on one line, one row, but it's still really jarring like tabs is a better metaphor it and it these is expanding and contracting and like if you have two or three tabs for amazon it doesn't seem like it's easy to navigate which amazon tab was which or button or whatever this is it's going to break the language because when people look at that if you're introducing this to your spouse or somebody else and you're like hey uh, tap that tab up there they're going to say what tab to them it's like tabs (laughs) don't exist anymore tap the the button bar yeah yeah that's a good point joe the 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 actual like design language here it really is a strong metaphor to say you click this tab and then everything under it is one context you click another tab and you're in a different context and of course the you know the address bar changes and the the viewport changes that makes sense conceptually they don't have to be skeuomorphic and look like you know, exactly like tabs in a notebook or something, but that's actually a really strong metaphor. And that's, that's my frustration with them redesigning it every few years. And it's not just Apple, it's every browser maker. It's like they, they, they clear the history and completely reimagined (laughs) tabs. And it's like, guys, this is good. There's actually some hard problems to solve in tech. Quit futzing around with this. (laughs) Well, for example, the refresh button on the Mac version doesn't show up until you hover over that button or that field or that area. Is that that true? Yeah. No, it's not. It's not true. I'm looking at a refresh button right now in Safari Technology Preview, and I'm not hovering over it, and it's there. Uh, It's not for me. I I, I just updated the... Safari Tech Preview? Yeah, I updated it today. I hadn't used it in a few weeks. Okay, I don't know what's going on then. It is weird. Uh, the refresh button now. Now, what is missing until you hover over it? And th- I actually still don't like this about Safari Tech Preview. Is the on the tabs you have the fav icon, but that's where the close button also is, and it doesn't appear to be a close button until you hover over it, and then it becomes a close right. button. Because and if you're going to select the, and drag the tab, it's yes. also interpreting that you would only maybe want to close the button. But, so, so before mm-hmm. when the fav icon operated as an icon that you could drag and do stuff with, but now if you try to grab and, and drag it, it doesn't do anything and you might accidentally close your tab. So Apple, I think, still has some <laughs> things that are regressions here. The, 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 I, I still want to say, as I said last two weeks ago, Safari 4 beta was still my favorite version of Safari, and yeah. I wish they would. I wish they would would have kept that design. But what, what would what would Safari be like now if they had the guts to stick with the Safari 4 beta design? Ooh. They were one of the first ones to do toppy tabs, and then they re- re- reversed reversed their decision. It could have been nice. It could have been a little bit more like Brave. Uh, this tab situation, this is the last thing I want to say about this because I really want to talk about Electron. This tab mm-hmm. situation reminds me a lot of the early days of iTunes. Do you remember this, Joe or Kevin, where in OS X, uh, iTunes would do a new look, and then OS X would follow suit a, a year or two later, but then iTunes mm-hmm. would change again. And then all of a sudden, you had the different scroll bars in iTunes, but the Aqua scroll bars everywhere else in, in OS X. It was maddening. Yeah. It was, always, <laughs> it was always like a couple of design languages ahead. Yes. And then eventually the OS caught up and they were like hey we're on to a new thing now yeah yeah it, it's it's maddening and I, I feel like this now because the tab metaphor in safari 14 and the tab metaphor in finder 
are the same in Big Sur, but then in Safari 15 with these new tabs, they're out of step. So I don't like, uh, um, can't even keep up. Yeah. There's a great, um, where did I put this in the show notes? Um, Oh, actually, this is when we get to Electron, but this can serve here, too, this Threadreader app link talking about the history of tabs uh, and how Apple kind of missed this boat until late, but they didn't even implement, implement TabKit for the, 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 same, the same tab system that, that, um, that Finder now uses. They didn't even implement that as something developers could use until 2017. So they really missed the tab boat, hmm. I think. And, and that's kind of the history of them missing some important UI elements. So I think that's a good transition into 1Password and Electron. And I've done a lot of talking. Yeah. Uh, Joe, you've done some talking. Uh, what, what um, Kevin, what do you, how do you feel about 1Password going to Electron for <laughs> 1Password 8 and its desktop apps? It's, it's slightly concerning, but but mostly it's concerning because I think we've all used Slack and seen what that's done to <laughs> to our resource usage. Um, my my bigger concern, I mean, Electron is a, I think Electron is a reasonable way to build cross platform apps. Um, it, it is a little concerning because it's like you guys already had a really solid code base with a really nice app. I am worried that it's going to go down the drain. But mostly, it's not this individual decision. It's that uh, since since one password, or I guess since Agile Bits has taken on VC funding, which they said they didn't really need, they were already profitable. Mm-hmm. They just needed it to grow quicker to grow the team. Since they've done that, you you can't take VC money and then have VCs go, eh, just do whatever you want to with your business. <laughs> like the VC <laughs> has desires. There's a reason they're investing in the company, and so it's necessarily going to have a you know, a, a distortive effect on the company. Um, that could be a good thing. It could be a bad thing. I'm just worried because this seems like, hey, we need to grow quick. We got to be on every platform. So let's not worry about the incredible user experience we've put together for the Mac. Let's, you know, let's make it as cross-platform as possible. This will be on everything. Now, with that said, I I, I will say their web interface is... Um, it's, it's surprisingly good. It's astonishing what they've been able to accomplish. Well, and, and web technologies are getting to the point where I don't think the normal people, if they're not told that it's web technologies powering it, I don't think – normal people, the muggles. <laughs> I, don't <know. laughs> uh, I don't think that people who aren't as into design metaphors and what native apps feel like as us three are, uh, they may not right. know a lot of these web apps are, yeah. are web apps. Yeah. Um, I think that's certainly the case with a few exceptions, a few quirks uh, in my chosen to-do app, Todoist. Um, you know, you can drag stuff around and it, it's, it's Electron. It's, it's mm-hmm. what it is. So, um, and, and as a, as a web developer, I've got to say, I'm cheering on the technology because it opens up the, the platforms on which I can build things mm-hmm. for. I do, I do mm-hmm. like that. Um, it, to your point, TJ, it's really going to come down to the actual user experience that regular people have. Um, you know, my, my wife, we, we have a, a family one password subscription. She uses it. She's, uh, you know, she loves it. So if she starts noticing, Hey, this doesn't really work as well. It's, it's kind of clunky or it's, you know, it's buggy, whatever it is, that'll be the real test for me because yeah. I will probably notice things and notice what's going on. And I might, you know, I might attribute it to the fact that it's an electron app when maybe it's just cause it's a new version and there's always something going on. So it'll be interesting to see what, what regular folks think. 
Well, and to your point, it's not like the native app was with, without its quirks. It had some quirks that I didn't like about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but overall, it was a fantastic app. Well, I say was. It's still the active app. I mean, you have to run the beta to run the Electron version. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, Kevin, because I've talked to you a lot about this offline, uh, not on the podcast, I know you're a big user of 1Password. I know my life, and I've dragged my wife kicking and screaming into the 1Password world, but now her life is also all tied up in 1Password. Mm-hmm. Unless they really, you know, um, I'm trying to think of a metaphor. Uh, <laughs> Unless they really jump off the cliff with this thing, like we're not going anywhere. Joe, yeah. w- where are you at in your usage of One Password? Very happy with it. Been using it for many years. It is just a great app yeah, across all those browsers. All they're really going to have to mess it up for us to leave. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, there, it would be a huge, uh, gargantuan effort. Like basically. Uh, it, it would be like tearing down my house and building a new one to get out of one password at this point. Yeah. Um, and that's the danger, right? You, you know, you try not to tie your life too closely to any one thing because they have this kind of power over you and we're all sitting here on pins and needles. But like with one password, it's kind of all or nothing. Yeah. And you can't really decouple yourself from everything or then you're, you know, you're the digital equivalent of somebody living off the grid out in yeah, the woods. It's you're like a digital, you're a digital nomad. Yeah. Which, you know, there there's going to be the benefits you're looking for there. But so much downside. And so you, you, at some point, you've got to go all in. I've got another friend of mine who, when uh, AgileBits announced that 1Password was headed to Electron, he was texting me and he was pretty upset about it. And he said, and this is why I gave up 1Password ages ago. I couldn't, well, I just really? couldn't take it anymore. And he he had switched to, there's an open source, I can't remember the name of it. It has Bit in it, BitGuardian, something like that. Mm. He does. Does it use like the is it PPK or there's a there's a file format for storing passwords that a lot of these apps will use and open like Maybe, Strongbox? No, I mean it's like a Bitwarden. I think is the mm, name of it. Okay, um, okay, so we can look that up and see if what it uses. It it's an open source. Um, it's an open source a company that builds this but it's open source and then they also have subscriptions and everything he said he he had switched over to that because he was so upset with you know one password i don't know for me i was looking into it and i was like i mean it would be a big move for me to move off of one password and i've got to be honest i'm not seeing anything here like he even conceded bitwarden is built on electron so i'm like well then what's the point what are you leaving one password for yeah that's like i don't like what you're doing i'm gonna go do use this thing that's doing the exact same thing I, i don't understand yeah, um, I'm not I, thrilled with it, but it, it's it's a high threshold for me to move off of of Agile Bits or yeah. off of One Password. I can't tell if Bitwarden uses that that uh, open source file format where it stores. You know, there's a, there's a, a file format that many programs like Strongbox and other uh, open source applications can use. Um, mm-hmm. And I can't tell if Bitwarden's using that or not. I'll put the Bitwarden link to the website in the show notes. I, I don't want to try to research this on air. Um, <laughs> you don't so. think that'd be fun for the listeners? No, no, I don't. So um, th- here's here's the thing. I was concerned. I, I still am concerned uh, about some of the decisions that One Password has made. And, and the VC funding was the first tip off of like, I don't know if I like this uh, because I've been a big um, One Password user for many, many, many years. Um, ah, probably since 2012 or so. And and I think what makes this smart the most is after having used the 1Password 8 beta, which I'm using um, exclusively right now just to test it, I have 1Password 7 I can fall back on, but I have the 1Password 8 beta and all this hmm. stuff installed. It, it's a fine. It's fine. It's – it's <laughs> well, I mean it's it's not really It's a ringing that much, endorsement. It's, it's not right. really – it doesn't feel like a big change. So it, it just feels like – and in some ways it's better. But I think what smarts about it is – 
you know, all of us who have been Mac users and, you know, pretty much Mac exclusive for years and years and years, and despite my wondering for a couple of years, I've, I've always been a Mac user, right? And it was a, a what, what is the John Gruberism? It's a Mac-assed Mac app. <laughs> it, it, it was a, uh, it was all in on the Mac and it was native and it was as good as they could make it and it was for the Mac. And what they're doing is they've ex- they've expanded, of course, to iPhone and iPad, and they're trying to expand further their reach because the reach of Apple's own, you know Apple's garden is they've 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 saturated it and they need to move on beyond it. And in addition, they've taken that VC funding. So the way they're doing that is they're wanting to. And I, as a as a software developer, I understand this. They're wanting to write less code to make it available on more platforms so the more bifurcated well by means too so the more diverse experiences you have the more uh problems you can have and and it you know differences from platform to platform and i'm sure they don't want that so what i understand that they've done is they've written the api layer in rust and so being the developer nerd that i am i went and researched rust a little bit wait i've never heard of rust Rust is a programming language, much like PHP is a programming language, or C Sharp, or C++, or C, for that matter. Uh, They're all programming languages. Or Objective-C, to talk to our Apple listeners, Objective-C and Swift. They're all programming languages. They're, you know, just like we have English and French and German that all accomplish the same things, basically. These languages do the same thing in programming, and... Me being a PHP developer, I'm fluent in PHP. Uh, you know, and then you have people who are fluent in Rust. But the the point of Rust, the the research that I did on Rust, is that you can write in Rust, and then with either zero or near zero performance penalty, uh, compile it into a C library that can then be used. When, C is like a universal like you, you know everything's built on c php is built on c object objective c is built on c swift is built on c electron is if you get down far enough it's built on c like everything's on c and hmm. so rust compiles into a c library that then you can use that api uh, that it's compiled into that library anywhere and so that's what they've done is they've they've written their basic API layer in Rust and then their UI layer they had planned to do with Swift UI. This was their I think first mistake when it comes to the Mac. Swift UI <laughs> is not ready. Um, it's the only way to write, write watch apps, but it was conceived as the language for the watch. And so Apple's struggling to bring it up to speed with you know the the needs of Mac applications. I think what they should have done is done a Catalyst app. Um, and it's clear that, you know, people are worried that it's the Swift UI is supposed to be the future. Catalyst is an in-between technology, and perhaps it is, but Apple's right, written many of its, rewritten many of its own applications to use Catalyst, Messages being the most prominent example. I don't think it's going anywhere. And we know from Messages being a much better app than it was before in the Catalyst version that it's possible to write good apps with Catalyst that are also working on iOS and iPadOS. That's a iPad perfectly OS. good point. I never heard so of I, Rust. It's got a, a name to it, kind of like Discord and Slack, where it sounds like it has a negative connotation. That, that's I just true. Do not understand these names. The tech true. world loves that stuff. Yes, <laughs> yeah. yes, they do. So, so that's kind of the the backing foundation. Is they made a few decisions that made them make, I think, wrong decisions. And when they realized they couldn't build the one password experience they wanted with Swift and Swift UI. Uh, which I'm su- I'm assuming their iOS and iPadOS apps still are using Swift and SwiftUI, and they were trying to make it work on the Mac, and it wasn't there. And I've heard that from numerous developers that you just should not choose SwiftUI right now if you want a Mac app. 
So they weren't able to make that work, and they've already been working on the Electron app for Windows and for Linux, which is great if you're on those platforms. The 1Password app for for Windows was terrible, and they didn't have one for Linux. So um, this is this is great, and so what they're able to do is quickly say, well, we'll just check the button that says build this for macOS 2, and that's our new macOS app. And I'm sure there's a little more work to it than that, but that's essentially what happened, is they made the wrong decision, and they can't really back out of it. I think that's that's where they're at. The one thing that worries me is I, I like the native extensions uh, for browsers, and yes. they have an option called 1Password X yes. um, that's just no good. It, and so I'm worried that, that we're going to be sort of inheriting that style of interface, that style of in- interaction um, with this new Electron-based app. So I have good news for you, Kevin. The new Tell extensions, me. they are a lot like 1Password X, but they are new extensions. Uh, Safari's is the new you know, web extension interface that Safari has. They do feel more like 1Password X, but I don't hate them as much as I hated 1Password X. They're working fine. And that they're in beta. actually is a ringing endorsement from they, TJ. <laughs> yeah. They are in beta. And uh, there are a few quirks. For instance, my uh, beloved keyboard shortcut that has been the 1Password shortcut forever, command backslash. It's on only- T-shirts. It's only partially implemented, um, meaning it only works if you have one match. There's already a thread about that. They've said, look, we know you're going to complain about this. It's coming, okay? It's a beta. So I'm not too worried about that. Um, there are still a few things that I, I definitely do still prefer the extension experience with 1Password 7 and the native extension. We're not, but, but the future is this. I don't think that's going to change. So mm. I'm, I'm trying to use it and report things that I don't like about it, basically. Um, I, as I said, I've been using it. And so I have a few screenshots in the, um, in the document here, if you want to follow along. So I've been doing some comparisons, um, the, the, I actually overall would say the electron experience is a little better. Um, there are How some so? downs. Well, just because I think they've put more time and effort into it. I don't think oh, they put a lot okay. of effort into the Mac app in a, in a year or two. It's just sort of been floating there, being what it is. And in addition, there's a few quirks I didn't like. So so the first comparison, if you click on that link, is just showing that one of the downsides that you might think is that with a Mac app, when there's a control that you click that is a popover control, a popover style control, it would break out of the, the window bounding box. It's not tied to that window, and so it can fill up the screen as needed. With Electron, that's not the case. But then when you compare it to the Mac app, uh, and you click that second one that says scrolling controls native, they made the same decision in the native app where they won't let that control go past the bottom of the window. Now you can see that it's a native control if you click the third screenshot, because if you scroll up, it will break out of the window on scrolling up, whereas the Electron version won't. Oh, Those yeah. are minor little details that are the difference between native and Electron apps is stuff like that. Um, You're going to have these in the show notes too, right? Yes, they will be in the show notes. Thank um, you. So one of the quirks I didn't like about the old um, Electron style, I'm sorry, the native app, I'm going to confuse my <laughs> listeners, the native app I didn't like about it was I didn't even know you could open items in their own window for like a couple years because you double click on it and nothing happens. So, But in the native app, what I discovered finally, I actually wrote into support about it and they're like, uh, you know, you can click that button over there. And I'm like, what button? <laughs> so there's a button that lets you open an item. Once you've selected it, then you go click the button over on the very far right top corner and it'll open it in its own window that's actually a downside that breaks behavior that's expected of native apps that you can open things in windows in the electron app surprisingly if you click that next screenshot 
uh, you will see that I, I didn't know Electron apps could do this. I've never, uh, well, that's not true. I guess I've seen Visual Studio Code do it in a roundabout way. But this is, this is actually like not another instance of the app. This is a window of the same app. You double click it and it opens. And you still have the, um, the ability to click in the, um, uh, in, in there's a, there's a little like three dot thing and you click open in a new window. So that, that ability is still there with a separate button, but this is much more expected behavior on the Mac. You double click an item and it opens in its own window. Yeah. So that's actually an improvement. So there are definitely improvements in the electron app. And in addition, I'd say the electron app feels um, faster. I think the search is smarter. Um, I, I like the way it's organized better. Um, Oh, what was there? There was another. Um, are these? Did I not get these in the show notes? Hmm. I thought I took screenshots of of um, editing, but in in any event, I'll just describe it. So, editing, um, you can't edit items in their. Uh, is this true? Yes, you cannot edit items once you've opened them in their own window, like you could in the native app. So there, there's give and take. Things are some things are better, some things are worse. So that that's that's my overall review. Is it's a change. And, and it's I, I, overall maybe a slightly better experience with Electron, but only, I think, because they're putting effort and work into it. Well, that's promising. Yeah. I wonder what they are going to be like on the iPad and iPhone. We'll have to wait and see. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, my, my understanding is everything's going to be all new apps because they've been working on this. They were working on this new unified code base that didn't quite pan out. So, yeah. <laughs> Just out of Any curiosity, other? does anybody here use 1Password on their Apple Watch? I know that they support it, but I've never found a reason to use that me either same okay. yeah i have not all right uh all right if anybody has anything else does it does anybody have anything else to say about electron and one password well just that i've had bad experience with electron apps elsewhere and looking at you notion and if i <laughs> <laughs> can say that this looks a lot more promising than their development over at notion then uh yeah i i, I mean i'm wary because of the others but at least it does seem like they are making a concerted effort yeah, and I'll, I'll I'll refer back to that um, that thread that I'll post in the show notes. It's a thread reader, uh, basically. It's just a put, stitched together thread from Twitter about what Apple has ceded to developers. Ceded, not not seated, uh, but but they've ceded control of certain things because they they just haven't been there. They haven't skated to where the puck was going, and so Electron kind of made that more possible for people. And um, Apple's a little behind the curve, and they're I think in their um, UI frameworks and it's a little it's a little sad to see but but on the other hand I think Electron is also improving and um, it seems like it's improved an incredible amount in in recent years I mean just in terms of resource usage and and the ability to accomplish certain things yeah for sure you know I was I was trying to think what is it now in 2021 that makes a great Mac app because there are several Electron apps that I use and I, I I would not say that every any Electron app that I use is a great Mac app but some of them are great apps and so mm-hmm. I'm wondering if it even makes any difference now whether it's a good quote Mac app and and obviously Agile Bits is make there is a business decision behind this too because in in years past they've won Mac awards for the you know great app design yeah but at this point it's like is that the most important thing to us no. or is it opening no. up this market to the maximum number of users and right. honestly. Honestly, if they've got the resources to handle it, that makes sense, especially if they're going to be able to achieve some kind of parity with the features and the, if the, you know, this is one of those apps that's on all the time. So the resource usage definitely has to be kept in check. But, um, but you know, if they're able to pull it off, it, it does seem like it's the right business move. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I looked at the resources that the Electron app was using, and it didn't seem like it was a lot more than the native app. So apparently it's possible to write Electron apps that aren't hogs. <laughs> I think one of the problems, Kevin, that we experience with Electron apps is we tend to use these big, you know, Electron apps that either mm-hmm. A, they're not coded efficiently, or B, they're just doing a lot. Like, especially, I don't know about you, but Slack, I have several um, Slack uh, communities that I'm in. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I've got several of them on the sidebar, and each of those instances adds a whopping, you know, 500 megs or whatever you know 10 million megs or whatever of of memory so some of that may just be the types of apps we're using and i don't know how much more efficient they would be that in that way if they were native anyway yeah there could always be that you know that that classic instance of a bunch of the apps we're using are electronic we just don't know it you know because it's just you don't see it you can't feel it there's no tangible difference right yeah for sure yeah, and I, I thought it was interesting to do a – like when I was thinking about what makes a great Mac app, what are my favorite apps right now? Fantastical, Fantastical is at the top of that stack, and it is a native app, but what makes it great? It's not like all the controls feel like native controls, although many of them no, do, yeah. but they're laid out in, in ways that are really nice, uh, but not necessarily the, quote, Mac way. But mm-hmm. but yet it does feel like a Mac app. I, I it's It's almost an intangible – I don't quite know how to describe it. And maybe it is some of it is it does, you know, like when there's a checkbox, it's a native Mac OS checkbox. And when there's a search box, it's a native Mac OS search box. I Maybe that's what it is. I, I don't know. Um, it certainly feels at home and it's one of my favorite apps. Well, um, just because they got away from all of the Chrome in the interface in general, everything with a much flatter design, it, it mm-hmm. just, uh, if you're using flat design in Fantastical and then you flip back over to Things 3 by Cultured Code and then you flip over to the Finder, they, it's, it, it, the Chrome seems to be the same, even though there's obviously more differences going on here if you start to contrast mm. it, but it, it's a lot more settled than it used to be. Yeah. And I'm not one that, that, you know, when I say I want a great Mac app, I'm not one that thinks that every app has to look exactly the same and use the exact same layout and controls. So it's it's just hard to define what makes a good Mac app in 2021, I think. But then, you know, Fantastical, the same, the the Flexibits, the company that makes Fantastical, they make an application called Cardhop, which which I do use for for reasons that of of what it gives me. I kind of hate the app, though. It's not (laughs) a very good app. It it jumps around as you search the, the size of the window changes and I, I, ooh, I just there are things about it I really can't stand, and but yet it's a native Mac app. Um, but then, then you know, moving on, that Newswire that's a great Mac app, and it's not because it follows like a standard looking convention. It's just a great app, and it's also a great Mac app. Transmit uh, it, once again, very different looking app, but yet it feels at home and it's great on the Mac. There's, it's it's a great app. It's um or it's a great uh, I don't know. It's fine. There's some things I would change about it, but it's a great app. So I, I'm trying. I'm finding it hard to define what is a great Mac app versus what is a great app versus how Electron fits into all that. And and as a developer, as you said, Kevin, I understand the decisions they're making. Mm-hmm. A good example of a great Mac app is got to be Stickies on Mac OS. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> classic. Sold. <laughs> there's there's the look of a classic native Mac app you want to emulate. Sure. Right there. You, you know, that that's actually a good point. I'm sitting here thinking, and most of the apps I use every day, not intentionally, but just most of the apps I use tend to be cross-platform apps or built for apps. There aren't any that I can think of that are just like really well-designed Mac apps. That that may be part of what people are so frustrated about with 1Password announcing they were moving off of it. That actually is one of the few I can think of that's like a really well-designed Mac app. 
And maybe yeah. it just feels like, but wait, we have this special thing over here. Why are you leaving? <laughs> You're for us, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I feel like Apple's put themselves in this situation. I, I, I think all, both of you are probably Mac users at the same time that, uh, Apple was introducing both carbon and cocoa, right? You know, mm-hmm. the, what, what is now called, uh, app kit, I, I believe. Do I have that right? And then UI kit is the iPhone one. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. it was, you know, carbon and cocoa. And so carbon was, okay. All right. Fine. You guys are not going to port your apps to our next step, uh, APIs. So fine. We'll put a layer on top of the old Mac OS 9. Uh, APIs and here you go. Here's Carbon. Take a few months and get your apps ready. And everybody kind of assumed that that wasn't the way forward. But Apple never really said beyond here we have two great APIs for you to use. And then eventually they shuttered um, Carbon and then you just had Coco. And I feel like we're the people feel. I think people feel like we might be in the same boat with Catalyst and Swift UI, which is what caused them to choose Swift UI, and then they failed at it miserably because it wasn't as good as Coco, as, as good as Coco was back when Apple was introducing Carbon and Coco. So I feel like Apple's kind of done this to themselves. They've not made the path very clear. No, they haven't said, "Oh well, you know, Catalyst is intermediary." Nor have they said Swift is the way. Swift UI is the way forward. It, it's just so it's just sort of left up to the developers to decide. And I think they need to make a public commitment. Like, look, you can use Catalyst. It's never going away. Or you can use Catalyst for 10 years and then it's going to be deprecated. Or SwiftUI is definitely it. Like, you can do it We and, it, and we want to know how we're failing so we can make it right. But they're not really doing any of that. They're just sort of throwing it out there and it's just sort of half-assed. Mm-hmm. I wonder, though, you know, if you look at the whole landscape, I was just thinking the other day about the transition from um, PowerPC to Intel chips and the sort of the the massive change they forced developers to go through back then. And comparing that to what's happened this time as they as they're moving over to Apple Silicon chips, it's been a completely different transition. And so even though we're not we don't you know, we're sitting here racking our brains. What are the great Mac apps that are truly, you know. Under the hood, Apple is doing something right because the, you know, the larger ecosystem was able to move pretty quickly to a universal app binary that, that works for both Intel and, and for, uh, for Apple Silicon. Well, I think in this case, with, with the architecture transition, they built that into the tool chain. After the first time this happened, where it's like, well, we got to change architectures, and it was difficult, but I think mostly it was difficult for people on Carbon, because Carbon didn't mm-hmm. come forward. Um, and that was part of that. And people who were on Cocoa had a much easier time of it. Um, I think in that case, though, they, they learned and they built in the tools to do this in their, in their tool chain. So now all you have to do is check a box and recompile your app, and it is an R map. Uh, and that has made that transition much easier, whereas in the case of, of Catalyst and SwiftUI, these are entirely different ways of doing applications from Cocoa, you mm-hmm. know, from, from AppKit. So I think Apple just needs a very clearly defined – and I really think it was – oh, I don't want to get too far into the weeds on this. we got to talk about CCM. <laughs> but, but I think I – I just don't think it was a very clearly defined um, – uh, goal of, you know, and, and introducing Catalyst and Swift UI at the same time, I think was just a mistake. I, I, I don't think, I think that there were two departments in Apple or two like sections in Apple's dev team that came up with these things simultaneously and they're like, uh, 
guys, we didn't know you were doing that. Oh, we didn't know you were doing that. And well, we're just going to have to introduce them both, I guess. Yeah, it's <laughs> almost like an, an option for a tab bar at the top or at the bottom of it. <laughs> It, right. that, both of those are really strange choices for Apple to make. A- Apple is famous for making hard decisions, and yes. and neither one of those. Are, it's just like, well, let's just let them both happen. Well, speaking right. of hard decisions and <laughs> things that are hard to like moving on, hard I'm to applauding out. this transition. <laughs> Apple, uh, one of the hard decisions that they're making is um, they're going to be scanning for uh, CSAM. Now, what what you might ask is CSAM because. You may never heard of this term before, and I hadn't really either until I looked it up. And CSAM, CSAM stands for Child Sexual Abuse Material. This is what we previously would have called child pornography. Um, and I think, but I think CSAM involves more than just child pornography, but in, essentially it is child pornography. And so Apple has announced two features. They're going to be dealing with CSAM. And I actually, I was thinking about this. I, um, I'm a conservative, uh, generally speaking, and that makes me, among other things, skeptical of change. Um, I'm not generally a fan of nomenclature changes, but I think in this case, I think it's the right thing because child porn, I, I think child sexual abuse material is clarifying. It is, that, that is what it is. It's not just, oh, you know, dirty pictures. It's abuse of children. And mm-hmm. so I actually think the name makes sense. I, I actually don't like that it's abbreviated to CSAM, and yet I'm not going to say child sexual abuse material every time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but but as long as you understand what's behind it, I think the name is is better. So but but I think Apple, I think uh, here again, Apple made a mistake and a big PR mistake in announcing two related on the surface but very technically different and very and serving different purposes. Um, two features. And I think we'll, the first one we'll talk about is the one that I am definitely on board with, which is funny because a lot of the people in the tech world are less on board with this one. But this is the let's use intelligence on the phone when a child, a known child's device receives an image. Let's use intelligence to make sure that it's a safe image. And and our intelligence model is going to look and see is there, you know abusive content private parts uh nude you know should this child be receiving that you know, this child shouldn't be receiving this image and so they're we're going to put up a warning and the child is going to have to click view and if they're 13 or under they're going to say if you choose to view this your parents will be notified so that's the first feature that i want to talk about what are your what are either of you what what are your thoughts on this oh that's a very pregnant question there kevin <laughs> since you're the new guy after you. <laughs> oh, that, that feels uh, feels rude. Um, <laughs> so I think this is uh, certainly in, in a lot of ways, this is the least objectionable um, of the, I think they actually announced three, uh, three aspects to the child safety initiatives of those. Though this certainly seems like the least uh, concerning, uh, at least according to Apple, you know, this has to be, this has to be uh, turned on by you. Ha- the child has to be a child account inside of an iCloud family, and mm-hmm. the, the parents have to enable this. Mm-hmm. And so you are empowering people. Uh, you are empowering the families to to deal with these issues themselves. Um, it's probably something that I would I would enable. Um, you know, if I had a kid uh, of of the age to use this stuff. Um, my eight-month-old uh, has just barely learned how to use an iPad, so she's right, not right, there yeah. yet. So, so texting is maybe what six months away? Probably six months away. She'll be using <laughs> she'll be using Siri sooner though. Yeah. Um, 
but I probably would enable this. Of course, there's going to be, you know, I think one of the first objections I heard was, well, you know, then kids are just going to use different apps. Well, yeah, sure, that's true. Apple doesn't control all that stuff. I would be more concerned if Apple was actually scanning the the screen itself and <laughs> all apps. Yes. This is very, yeah. you know, this is very focused. Um, of course, you do run into the potential um, somewhat hilarious uh, scandal in the UK. The UK police have been um have been using ai to try to identify uh identify like child born and, and some other things um in their technology and several years ago they had a they had a major problem with uh this ai would uh would find pictures of sand dunes and class clarify that as or classify that as nudes what? so the the scandal became <laughs> became known as uh send dunes Um, (laughs) and then in a a less hilarious aspect of it it also you know when you think of ai technology that's it's you know finding images and trying to determine what they are apple uh, or google photos does this and it's actually pretty impressive apple apple also does this in in the apple photo library it's very impressive when it's trying to determine um, you know, what is this as like a helpful hint as a caption for you? It's pretty, it's pretty impressive for that sort of thing, but it's only 94% accurate. And if you're using it to determine who should go to jail, yes. well, that's not accurate. <laughs> right. right. No. Well, and that's, that's why I wanted to talk about these features separately is because mm-hmm. they're not using in this, in this case, they're not using it for that. Yeah. All the, all the intelligence happens on the device for the, for the, for the messages, photos, identification that all happens on the child's device. Mm-hmm. And then, so once it determines that something may be unsafe, it, th- it shows a warning mm-hmm. and then it, uh, it will, if it's 13 or under, will notify parents. And then the parents can look and say, oh, was it safe or was it not safe? And, and again, as you as you noted, this feature has to be turned on. Mm-hmm. No no authorities are involved. Nobody's blowing any whistles. Uh, and as far as we know, and as far as Apple has said, that they've even said this data doesn't go anywhere other than on device and to a parent's notifications. Uh, that's the only thing that, that happens there. Yeah, which is um, well-scoped, I think. If, if they're going to roll this out, that's the place to adjudicate these kinds of issues. Let I the agree. family deal with it. I agree. I, I actually wish there were controls for what age, because uh, I'm just thinking, you know, my son is 15, and I still kind of would like to be notified if he receives a photo, <laughs> you know, and, and I he, I check his stuff once in a while, and he never has, and it's fine, but I'm just thinking safety-wise and grooming-wise, I, you know, he... Mm-hmm. Children can. I, I remember Kids being that age 15. Are yeah. groomed as well. Yeah, yeah I, I remember uh, being fifteen and being very naive about things. And my what? son is the same way. Like it's just there's just things that you don't know, you don't think about. And I'm I thankfully praise the Lord. Never there were never any grooming issues of any kind. And, and I'm I'm hopeful that's the case with my son. I'm trying to be on the lookout. But these we live in a scary world, and I'm very happy that Apple is adding features like this. And I'm I'm very very concerned about what my children. I'm trying to be very judicious with the use of technology. One of the things that a lot of the um, surprise, there's a lot of liberals in tech, and I'm, I'm friends with many of them, um, and I'm a conservative, so I'm a little weird. But like a lot of uh, one of the things I disagreed with, or maybe I just have a slightly different take as a conservative guy with a family who I'm trying to keep safe. Um, that one of the things is that people have said, oh, well, what if you have uh, a child who's um, who's in an abusive situation and and this just adds to it? And there's many ways that this can be, you know, taken and according to them, used for abuse. And I, you don't... 
you don't not build controls for parents to keep their children safe because somebody might use it for the opposite way in a very strange way. Like, I just don't see how that's a good argument. Yeah, what's the alternative? Right. What What is the alternative? Would you rather allow a children to be groomed in our digital world for these things? And and I and I also think that this is Apple giving the controls to individuals and not to questionable government entities that that have botched things like this all the time, as you mentioned, the UK police getting things wrong there. So um, I think, as you said, Kevin, I think it's very, very well scoped. This particular feature um, of, yeah. of identifying on device whether they think something um, something is uh, bad. Um, and Federighi, uh, you know, I know he his job is to trumpet things, so take this with a grain of salt. His job is to promote them from Apple's side. But he said that in their training of the models, they have had a very difficult time confusing it. Um, so... I, I suppose take that for what you will. Um, Presumably, you know, the AI would get better over time. And it's been right. three or four years since the UK police had the send dunes scandal. Yeah. So <laughs> on the other hand, Apple hasn't always been uh, historically great with services like these and with intelligence. Um, they've they've perhaps been one of the least great in terms of intelligence on device. Um and overall, we forgive them for it because we like you know their devices and we like some of their the way they do things, but they're not always great. And just as a case in point, like today, Kevin, I was riding my bike and you were texting me, and I said, "Hey Siri, you know, respond to Kevin, say this," and it all worked great. However, a couple of days ago, I was riding my bike and my wife is trying to text me, and I said, "Hey Siri, say X," and uh, nothing happened. And then I was started to say, "Hey Siri," again, but then she said, "Sorry, I can't take requests right now." <laughs> like yep. you, you can't what? <laughs> just, uh, you know, Apple has its ups and downs here. So it'll be interesting to see. And but, but, you know, a lot of times that's related to Apple's cloud services. So maybe this isn't a cloud service, as we've said. So I I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Speaking but, of Siri, but, it was funny. My wife was just doing some things around the house and listening to podcasts just today. And a couple of times, Siri over the HomePod minis. <laughs> Something Siri went off. <laughs> Somebody's paying attention. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, she was paying attention and freaked my wife out because a couple of times while listening to podcasts not related to technology or would drop the name and Siri piped up and went, mm-hmm, just out of the blue. Oh, yeah. And that's happened with jumped. our HomePod. <laughs> yep. Oh, that, that's kind of freaky. It is. It is. <laughs> And Apple's probably the one I trust the most here. But when a when a device all of a sudden you didn't know was listening goes, oh yeah, sure. <laughs> You're like, what? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that's the first feature, and I think it's a good feature overall. And I'm not saying there's not ways like anything, any feature, any device, any any software. Of course, it can be abused. But I think overall, it's a good feature to put a good tool to put in the hands of families who are trying to keep safe. Ultimately, all all of these features they've announced end up. <laughs> CJ, what uh, Siri just texted me everything you just said. I'm not even kidding. Um, <laughs> that's what? amazing. Yeah, yeah. Siri just texted me that entire conversation. So that, was that, that was my fun. Siri? Yeah. I, th- I thought I checked my devices. I thought I didn't think my devices were doing that. That's, that's fantastic. Ama- that's amazing. That is real. That is real time, people. <laughs> um, <laughs> what I was going to say though, ultimately, all of these uh, these. Um, you know, features that they've announced to, to try to, uh, you know, increase child safety with their devices. All of them ultimately rely on, do you trust this company? 
Right. And, um, you know, this is why I'm not comfortable with like Google or, or Amazon with some of the stuff because they have shown to be leaky at best, even if their mm-hmm. intentions are good. You know, the, the, the act of privacy is not the same as security. Uh, and, you know, maybe I'm jumping ahead a little bit here, but security is, is for the sake of it's, it's protecting the liability of the company. Privacy is protecting the user. And yeah. so those aren't the same department. They're not the same, the same sort of desire. Uh, Apple actually of all the big tech companies, it seems to be the one that has a deep vested interest in the privacy of the user because I mean, they, they're actually advertising that that's actually yes. like a feature a that they're value. making in. Yeah. Core value, I would say. But surprise, uh, speaking of their <laughs> core value, uh, feature two is, um, how do you explain this? It is hash matching of known CCM content from the NCMEC database or the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. Um, now, so this is a – sounds related because it's dealing with content that may be bad. But what it's not doing is it's not evaluating on device and, and looking and, and evaluating the picture itself and saying, does this contain a nude child or a sexually explicit image? It's not doing any of that. It is matching against a hash of uh, – uh, i got to back up. Pictures – in programming, we deal with hashes all the time. Pictures can be turned into hashes, a, you know, a, a string of, of characters. And so uh, it's very difficult to explain to non-programmers, and I'm not even sure I fully understand it, and I'm a developer. But, um, but you, you deal with these hashes, and so we have a, a database of hashes of known uh, uh, child sexual abuse material. And so what I, um, the iPhone is doing is if and only if you are about to upload a photo to the iCloud library, the phone, you've got iCloud library turned on, the phone is about to send it to iCloud photo library, what it does is it evaluates um, the, the photo that's about to be uploaded, it turns it into that hash, and it sees if it matches or closely matches or gets close to the hash of the known CSAM content. The idea there being uh, that the same photo should always generate the same hash, and so right. you, you should you should be able to detect by just comparing. Hey, every photo, let's generate a hash. Oh, is does this match one in that database? Then we know there's a problem, and we you know the the person or the system reviewing it doesn't have to actually keep the um, the objectionable image you know fully visible. It, it's it's a way of uh, detecting this stuff. Right, and it's a way specifically for machines to detect it, and it has to be a match. It can't just be like what well, we think, you mm-hmm. know. No, it has to be a match to known CSAM content. And by 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 law, NCMEC is the only entity that is allowed to keep this material for the purposes of identification, uh, so that we can catch criminals that are exploiting children. Mm-hmm. So and then, so Apple is matching this against that database, and then when the, the photo is uploaded to iCloud, it it is accompanied by the security voucher that says whether essentially I'm sure it does other things but it says whether it was a match or not. Now, that's not enough for Apple to take notice. You Also, because of the potential for false positives, which Apple says is very, very slim, I believe they said one in a trillion, but even so, they wow. wanted to make sure, that, this is what Apple's saying, who knows, but but they wanted to make sure that you meet, you get over a threshold before they would flag your account and then go actually look and say, is this CSAM? And so Craig Federighi said this is something on the order of 30 photos that match the hashes, known content of 
um, of CSAM content. And then they would look and verify with a human that uh, this is actually CSAM content. And then they would report you, if it is, to the police or to the, to the authorities. So that's that's the basic idea. And, you know, they've been very careful to stress this only happens as part of the upload pipeline to iCloud. They're not doing it on iCloud.com, even though right now they could, but they're not. I I have suspicions about that, um, which is that I think that Apple is preparing and trying to get to a point where they could encrypt everything. And so they have to do it on device before it's sent up and encrypted in the cloud. I think that's what they're doing, but they haven't said that, so we don't know. But but I don't know. I've I've, I've talked enough about this. Uh, thoughts, gentlemen. I do like the idea in general. I do love this as a conscientious family man. I don't want that kind of content on my children's devices, my devices. Still, it's kind of hard to believe that with that kind of power over our devices, that eventually a, co- a corrupt company would use this for very questionable reasons. And at this time, it seems like Apple's extremely trustworthy in this regard, and the government less so, per se, you know, necessarily. <laughs> right. Not exactly right. sure how to f- I feel about that, and this information getting in the wrong people's hands. But also, there's that quality that I'm a designer, I'm a video producer, a creative professional, and I'm not untech savvy i understand the gist of html plus some other kind of things but i hardly can wrap my mind around what they're doing and how they say this isn't a violation of privacy because Mm. it could be that they could use this same uh, process to do other things with my data <laughs> and say, well, it's not a violation of privacy either because we're still not doing it on your device regarding other information that, oh, look, we're going to give to advertising revenue generators because we can. And, oh, yeah, we're not violating your privacy. But, uh, really? <sighs> Well, yeah, I I mean, I think, and again, this is where, and this is good to have your perspective, Joe. Some of Mm -hmm. these concerns, I think, are legitimate, and some of them are overblown because because people don't understand what a hash is, I think. Yeah, (laughs) because that's confusing. It's all get out. So, I, you know, whether they whether somebody can do something with your photos is no, they can't. It's just a string of, of text. It's numbers and, and letters. That's the biggest problem that that Apple has with this, though, is is that their their announcement for for a company mm, that is so mm-hmm. good at marketing and so good at announcements, I, they could not have bungled this worse. Absolutely, hundred um, you know, percent. And this has been talked about at length on other tech podcasts, but. Um, they they bundled three things together that were all different aspects of trying to trying to you know protect child safety on their what, devices. What's the third thing? I can only think of two. Uh, the let me check. Daring fireball here. The the third one was updates to Siri and search to pro, to provide parents and children expanded oh. information and help if they encounter unsafe situations. Oh, okay, okay. So, but they, they bundled all these three things together, and one of them obviously caught people's attention. I mean, you know, both the AI to detect uh, to detect things that people are sending each other. Um, a lot of people had issues with that, and then this one especially caught a lot of people's attention. Um, you know, Edward Snowden has been has been texting mm. at length about calling this the spy phone. Yeah, and, and, and I don't so I don't think he's quite right on that. He's not quite right on it. And generally speaking, I appreciate you know very sort of extreme privacy advocates. Sure. However, um, this is an area where Apple stepped in it, and it's their fault because they they were not clear on what this does and and why they didn't they didn't give right. an explanation that let 
regular folks know, hey, you're you're not a threat here. You know, it, this is not. I think in that Federighi interview, he had to clarify. You know, if you've got pictures of your kid in the bathtub, that's not going to trigger anything. That <laughs> right. should have been in the original announcement. Sure, because that people was the don't understand. Everyone had because people don't understand hash matching, and why should they? They're not developers. Right. You and I, Kevin, we understand it. Joe doesn't understand right. it. My right. wife doesn't understand. Nobody else understands it. That was the objection I heard from everybody. They were like, "What is? What's going to happen? I've got pictures of my kid in the bathtub. Yeah. What's going to happen?" Well, and 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 they bungled the messaging so bad that. Federighi was allowed to say in an interview we by this. Apple's team, <laughs> we didn't communicate this correctly. When is the last time you heard Apple say that? I've never heard them say that before. I mean, I've never hat heard- in hand. They, when have they ever done that? I literally have never heard an Apple executive or an Apple person speaking on behalf of Apple say, we done messed up. I've never heard that before. Yeah. And Craig Federighi point blank says that in this interview. Mm. It's mm-hmm. it was bad and and that's the biggest problem here. I I may have some questions about their features, but overall I'm on board with them. It's the messaging uh, and and they did kind of two things that really messed it up. One was as I alluded to when we first started talking about CSAM was announcing these two things together because they talked about AI evaluating content. Mm-hmm. And then with this feature, they talked about sending that sending something to Apple. Yeah. You know, and and then Apple saying is this good or bad. And so you can see quickly how these are conflated in people's minds that these are the same feature yep. in the related features and therefore they're the same and apple is spying on us mm-hmm. and that's a totally reasonable conclusion to come to based on their original announcement yeah and then the second thing they did wrong is assuming everybody would understand that uh we're not <laughs> we're not uh we're, we're just matching the hashes that nickmec has we're not looking at your photos and mm-hmm. it depends on your definition of looking but you know they're they're they are looking to a degree with the with the hashes they're looking very specifically at matching known content and they're only you know looking at that photo then if you cross a threshold but they're still looking mm-hmm. so there there is some questions there and that said what makes this conversation difficult is i don't think any of us who are reasonable people you kevin who are on a slightly different political plane than me me who is in a this political plane joe who's again in a slightly different political plane and then you've got a lot of i I think this is one area where we kind of mostly all align is we all believe generally speaking unless you're actually actively um, committing the crimes involved with csam i think we all actively believe that this is evil content that sexual abuse material of children is bad and wicked and needs to be stopped as Mm -hmm. much as possible we all believe that so the question then becomes is this the right way to combat it and i think overall it's pretty sound I have some questions, but then Apple's messaging made me rethink that because, yes, I think it's pretty sound as if you understand it. But then when Apple can bungle the messaging so bad, are they going to bungle the process, too? Mm -hmm. Lots of questions there. (laughs) Lots of questions. Well, as as I said earlier, I think a lot of this this, you know, first of all, one thing I think people need to understand is every t- major tech company is doing this. Yes. Um, every tech company has already been doing this and Apple's kind of late to I was the game. Say, Apple's the last one to do it. Yeah. The others are doing it on their servers. So they're just looking at stuff directly and then reporting, you know, reporting violations to the law enforcement. If you're going to do this, 
Apple really has designed a system that is as privacy protecting as possible. Uh, mm-hmm. Like originally on first announcement, I was completely outraged. Yes, me but too. But over time, as they've they've explained this thing and I've looked at the design of it, it actually is about as privacy preserving as possible. It's the phrase that Apple's using. There is a yes. defense in depth in terms of um, we're going to check on your device so that it's not being checked, you know, elsewhere. Now that alone, I think, you know, frustrates some people because they're like, Hey, you're, you're sort of using my device against me, but, but the reality is they're doing it on your device so that it, it does protect this thing before it, it gets transmitted over the wire. Yeah. Uh, and then you have to actually vi- hit a certain threshold on violations before they even look at it. And then a human has to look at a very fuzzy version of this photo. <laughs> There's a lot of steps before you get you get turned over to law enforcement. And so yes. the concern about like you're going to be turning innocent people over to law enforcement. Nearly I non-existent. Don't, I don't have a concern about that. It's likely not to happen. Um, a couple of the other things that are going on here, you know, Syracuse had talked about on a- ATP that, you know, it, it seems like there is, even though Apple's not technically required to do this. Now, once a company has seen that you have it, they are required to report it by law, right. but they don't right. have to scan for it. And so they're technically not required to do this. Yet. So it seems like it's likely a defensive move by Apple so that they can say, you know, when the feds come knocking, they can say, hey, listen, we're doing this to try to catch the bad guys rather than saying there's nothing we can do and then getting pressure from the feds to to build in a backdoor. And a lot of people are calling this a backdoor. I don't agree with that. This is, no, you know, it's a very, not a back it's a very loaded word. Mm, and typically okay. that means that you can break the encryption there. This does it's, not break the encryption. No. And that's, I think that's the point. I, I've heard that term tossed around by people, even uh, Joanna Stern, which I think she probably asked the question because it was being tossed around. I think mm-hmm. she probably knows better, but she's asked Craig, is this a backdoor? People don't understand what a backdoor is if they think this is a backdoor. Yeah. The other yeah. thing too is that um, you know on uh, so Neely Patel had uh, on his decoder podcast he had a couple of uh, a couple of researchers on one of them uh, I believe it was Jennifer King uh, suggested that this you know in, in a lot of ways this can be a very public announcement by Apple because you know people have been asking why why did Apple say you know this is only happening for iCloud photo library this doesn't uh, you know if you don't use iCloud photo library if you just use the photos app on the phone but don't enable iCloud photo library, this doesn't, this doesn't do anything. And a lot of people are like, why would you announce that? Uh, and her point was, this is probably a very public announcement by Apple to say, Hey, child pornographers, we don't want you using our service. Yes. Go find some other place to, to, you know, be a degenerate, but don't do it here. Um, <laughs> You know, so I think I think there's some of that going on. Both there's a defense defensive posture by Apple, but also one to say we're gonna we're gonna it's gonna be a problem if you do it here. Yeah, and and that's kind of a a criticism that has been levied against Apple by some people that I've seen is well, you're not gonna catch any people with this technology because their people aren't gonna be stupid enough to use their uh, use the service if you announce it like this. And oh boy, have I got something to tell them. <laughs> Yeah. Look at how many people have been reported by services that are known to be checking. I was going to say, these people are not that. I mean, I hate to generalize. I'm sure there are smart people who engage in this wicked behavior, but in general, these people are not that smart. Yeah. In in terms of the problems, though, because I think generally speaking, if they're going to do this, Apple's done this about the best way. the The problems that have been raised that I that I do. I do f- 
have some time for for these concerns. One of them is that this this is yet another step that helps normalize the idea of surveillance versus investigation after the mm-hmm, fact. Mm-hmm. Um, as a cultural move, that that does concern me. I don't like the normalization of just sort of a, living in a surveillance state. Obviously, yeah. Apple is not the government, right? But that makes it different. A lot but... of people don't do really do a good job of making a distinction there, and yeah. it is acting as an agent of the state if they're going to report it, which they have to do. Um, so there is some there's some fuzziness there yep um you know the other thing with with uh the slippery slope problem is that um apple apple can say all they want that they this is all that they they're gonna scan for um but the reality is and syracuse had talked about this on atp the reality is the government has the ability to force apple or any other company to scan for things that they can't tell us they're scanning about they, right. they cannot tell us that they're scanning for this thing. And we've already actually seen that power abused with the Patriot Act's uh, surveillance uh, mm-hmm. abuses and, and in the FISA courts. I mean, the, the big objection here is that Apple has essentially created a honeypot where before they could say, hey, that's not possible for us to do. Now, you know, they can say, well, we would resist the those, you know, those um uh, threats from any government sure, that made that's what us they've do told it. Us. But the, the reality is they've already not done that. I mean, Apple has all of their their data in China is in a uh, in right. data centers owned by the state. The state has those encryption keys, so you're sure, not yes. safe from the state scanning in Apple mm-hmm. data centers in China. And and China's big business, like Apple, can't afford to not be there. Yeah. And and so, but but in the United States, they have stood by their guns. You know, the San Bernardino case, they would not help the government get sure. into that phone. Like, so they they've done that. So once again, it comes back to: Do you trust the company? Do you trust the company? It does come back to that. But let's assume that we do trust Apple right now, and so we're like, okay, th- this is going to relate to pol- my view in politics as well. Stand by. <laughs> but but it's do you trust Apple right now to do the thing they say? they're going to do do you trust them in 10 years when a new ceo comes into power do you trust them in 10 years when craig federighi or 15 years when he retires do you trust them in 15 in 30 years so the tools that you're building now mm-hmm. how will they be used by future apple who is not made up of the same people maybe not with the same values well, unfortunately yeah. you have a very good point <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't I, I think that's my biggest concern. I have some other concerns, but I think my biggest concern is that. And that's that's my basic political view is stop putting tools of power into the hands of people you trust now because they will change hands. Yeah. And yeah. I don't I don't know that this is a good idea. I, I, I on the surface and, and again, like I don't know what, what the alternatives are because I, I think this is wicked stuff that needs to be stopped, but I don't know that this is good. <laughs> Yeah, reg- regardless of um, the technological landscape or or the even the political landscape, there is no good solution to child abuse. No, N- nobody nobody has it licked. Nobody has it figured out. Well, and that's the thing. Like, the, um, people were abusing children and making photos of of sexual abuse material of children before phones, and now it's proliferating uh, via digital means, but is it any more prevalent than it was before? And again, I don't mean to sound cold-hearted. I think we should be working to reduce it and stop it. But I don't know that surveillance via digital technology is the right path forward. I just don't, I just don't feel fully comfortable with that. Is it worth giving up 
our rights to privacy that and that Apple taught us to value. Mm-hmm. Not that we didn't, not that I didn't value it before, not that you didn't value it before, but they've taught us to expect. Let me put it that way: they've taught us to expect from Apple a high value on privacy, to the exclusion, even again going back to the San Bernardino case, to the exclusion of working with law enforcement to solve a case that Apple almost certainly could have done if they if they would put their minds to it. The most damning commentary I saw on this was um, it was probably I probably flew around Twitter, but it was Apple's their advertisement for privacy, which has a padlock and and it's it's actually very bold and iconic. And someone had just added an asterisk to the to the end of it, and that alone was like, yeah, this is sort of a crack in that armor. It, mm-hmm. it it is a problem for Apple the way, even if it's just the way they announced it. Yes. Um. And, and then again, like I said, the the real slippery slope. Is the that they've created a honeypot? I get that they're going to resist the the U.S. government because you know, regardless of everything that you hear about the authoritarianism of the U.S., there is nothing that that has happened in the last you know the last president or the current president or or just our history that compares to. Russia forcing social media companies to remove pro-democracy content right. that has actually right. happened. There's yes. always the threat of it happening here, and of course, the powerful when they've got when they've got with men, you know, men with guns will escort you to a cage if you if you violate what they want. There's always the threat of that. It's not actually happened here yet. That's not saying it couldn't. Um, as much as uh, you know, as as much as I don't typically care for his commentary, Marco mentioned on the last ATP that over a long enough time f- scale, every government will trend towards authoritarianism, Absolutely. and that's the 100%. problem. Mm-hmm. That's my problem right. with this. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. I totally agree. So that 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 is probably my biggest concern with this. Now, John Gruber in his most recent podcast with Christina Warren. Uh, he he said that he thought that this was a roundabout way and that, that, that places like China and Russia, they already have better ways to do this than this than this system. Yeah, they're already but doing it. They're, I'm sure they are, but that, I don't think that's the point. I think that's missing the point. I think the point is that Apple has provided an official means for doing this, and now <laughs> they can come to Apple and say, here's a list of hashes. You are not allowed to tell anybody about exactly. this if you want to keep operating in our company, and you must match them, and when they match, you must tell us. Yeah. I mean, How do we know that's? You're I mean, not going to be have... able to upload any more Winnie the Pooh comparisons to <laughs> Xi Jinping. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh, that dude wow. looks like Winnie the Pooh. Okay, all right, very good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not even kidding. That's actually right. a very need... popular uh, Kevin. Form Kevin, of... <laughs> I need I need a photo. <laughs> I, I will include it in the show notes. It is <laughs> it is actually a very popular subversive form of uh, dissent in China to compare him to to Winnie the Pooh. Yeah, the, so, China's banned it. So I think my other concern is what happens with people who don't have passcodes on their phone, who somebody pranks them and puts stuff on their phone that turns out, hey, that we didn't even maybe think about the consequences of this, stupidity, whatever. Somehow, I don't know, I'm, I'm reaching a little bit maybe, but somehow swatting. child sexual abuse. Oh, swatting, sure. But somehow was, child basically the digital form of or the CSAM version of swatting. You load yes. up somebody's phone with this. So what if somebody's phone gets loaded up with this material by somebody other than them? They don't even know it. So now you've opened the door for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just here's a very real example. I a one time clicked on a link and a rogue ad took over my phone and, and, and not over my phone, but it took over the browser, redirected me to something very loud, pl- something very loud playing 
it was embarrassing. I was turning it down as quickly as I could. I hit the volume down button at the same time that I hit the power button. Guess what happens? <laughs> Guess what Screenshot. happens? Screenshot, which made it into my iCloud photo library, which got uploaded to iCloud. I was looking everywhere for ways to delete traces that this embarrassing thing had happened. It wasn't even my fault. I didn't know that the link I was clicking on was going to do this to me. So let's pretend that, I mean, this we all know this type of material can be found online. Let's pretend this happens. You meet the threshold. Somebody who is less technically aware than I am, who doesn't know, I need to go delete that right now. This happens a couple times. They hit the, the button that, that clicks the photo, and it gets into their iCloud photo library. They don't know to look for it. Now what? I don't know. I just I feel like there are ways this can be abused that in Apple's little world, they just didn't think about. Yeah. I'm, I'm concerned. I have concerns. Yep. Well, hopefully it'll be like Safari on iOS 15 and get a complete overhaul with all this feedback and uh, we'll all be happy I, with the new design. I See, I don't think they're going to change on this one. I think they've, they've, they're sticking the course as far as I can tell. They're it would be a the bigger course. PR disaster for them to pull back on it. I think so, too. Yeah, that's true. And then Craig would have to go on with more underarm sweat. I mean, it'd just be embarrassing. <laughs> I, I noticed that. I put that in the show notes, um, but uh, in the show outline, it's like, he lifted up his arm at one point. I'm like, is that? And I look close. I paused it. Like, he's got underarm sweat on this very prominent video. Like, I don't know. This is a problem I thought only us uh, mere mortals had. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, well, I don't know if there's a lot else to say, and and we're running long, so I think this is a a good place to put a pin in it. I'm sure we'll be talking about this again in the future. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. It's it's a lot. And and again, I want to be very clear. Nobody here on this podcast, nobody that I've listened to uh, in any other medium, nobody I've read is advocating CSAM content or advocating that no. people who make use of or take or, or pr- proliferate CSAM content, nobody's arguing that something shouldn't be done about them. We're questioning whether this is the right way. And, 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 and to be honest, I've been on both sides of this fence as I've been thinking about it. Certain times I'm like, you know, this is a good thing. Uh, you know, I've thought about this. I don't know if it's such a good thing. No, it's a good thing because we, these people don't need to be out in the wild. I've gone back and forth on this. It's a very difficult thing. And, and this is one of the reasons I wanted to have you on, Kevin, is I, I've talked with you about this before. I know you're a good thinker on these things. And I think that you have contributed to this conversation in a way that I, and said things in ways that I, couldn't get my head around. So, yeah, I appreciate that. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, wh- one thing that I would want to want to kind of add, just as a meta commentary on this, I, I've already said Apple's not the government, um, and so there's a, there's a major difference there. But I'm always concerned, and this is this is a privacy advocate coming out of me. I'm always concerned when there is when there's a very narrow use case that no one can object to. Um, when you're, you know, the Patriot Act was was supposed right. to chase down foreign terrorists. That was it. And then, <laughs> you know, oh my fast sweet forward, summer child, <laughs> exactly. Fast forward not even ten years, and we find out actually this is a dragnet that every American has been caught up in. Mm-hmm. And so, once you give these powers to people, it, it, it necessarily expands that there is mission creep every time. Apple is not the government. I am less worried about mission creep at Apple with this. They don't have nearly as much of an incentive to just start, you know, looking for other things. But the trouble is, to a degree, they're an agent of the state with this sort of thing. And so we get back to that honeypot thing. So I am worried about the mission creep of 
Um, you know, you, you see a lot of you see a lot of sort of sturm and drang surrounding the um, the big the concern of misinformation right now in the U.S. <laughs> yeah. and all over the world. You know, I think it was Ethiopia just banned, you know, misinformation on social media. And and obviously what they were doing was this is any this is any speech that goes against the official regime. Right. Now, the, the reality is we can look at third world countries we can look at other countries like Russia and go, oh, I see what you're doing. This is pretty, you know, on its face. Obvious what you're doing is just crushing dissent. We have to understand to a softer, more palatable degree that happens in the U.S. too. Yeah. And so I always have concern when it seems like, well, we're, you, you're not a, you're not supporting misinformation. Are you? We're going after misinformation. It's only 12 people on Facebook. That's really <laughs> who's spreading all this misinformation. When you have actors in the official public sphere who have this mentality and then you hand them a honeypot that says, Hey, we can very efficiently scan all this stuff on people's devices. And, uh, you know, yeah, we're, of course, it's, it's officially only NCMEC, the NCMEC database. Guess who has the ability to look in and see what NCMEC, the NCMEC database has in it? They're only the, the nonprofit uh, organization that is sanctioned by the, the government, and they're government actors who have the ability to see what's in that database. That's a very good point. We don't know what else is in that database. No, no, we don't know. No, only the people allowed to see the database are the ones who know what's in it. That is, that is a fantastic point I don't think I had considered before that you so, mentioned So that. there's not just the trust of Apple. At, at By extension, we're also trusting NECMEC. We're trusting official organs of, of the government. And... The government has shown over time it it does have an interest in in keeping uh, keeping threats to it at bay. Dissidents, you might mm-hmm. say. Yeah, and you and I <laughs> might agree with a particular with you know with a particular group that that should be um, sidelined or whatnot. But but try to step outside of our current context and our current our the fact that we are citizens of this country. Imagine you're a citizen of a different country or imagine this is happening in another country. And it's a lot clearer and easier to understand how this can be abused. Yeah, well, that goes back to what I was saying. We give tools to actors, whether government or other, that that we we don't ever consider that they'll not always be – these actors will not always be in charge. It'll be future people who are also wielders of these tools that we're giving them. Right. And they will abuse it. They will abuse it. That's right. That's absolutely right. And it's it's a very different proposition from the first feature, which is give some – you know, just let the parents know what's going on if it's going on. Uh, and we don't even have to be involved versus we're now going to be involved and we're going to report you if you've matched this, you know, cross this threshold. Now, right now, of course, because we have the actors involved who are, um, maybe I shouldn't use the word actors. It can be conflated with people who act in movies, but you know what I mean when I say (laughs) actor, I mean, people who are involved right now, they have said, well, we're going to then, once you cross that threshold, we're going to verify visually that it is actually the content we're scanning for. Right. What if that's not always the case, as we've mentioned, as you've mentioned, like in the future? What if what if it's like, you no, know, you know what? They cross the threshold. They I, cross a lower threshold. We're going to we're giving you an even lower threshold. And when they cross it, you have to tell us. And that's the end of it. I can. You, we did not even have to do that. Let me let me just give you a, a for instance, I can easily see a public campaign that, that is highlighting the the trauma and damage that these real humans are going through who have to 
have to be that last line of defense looking at all these things. We should just send this straight to the government. There's no reason for these human you know, these humans to actually have to view this stuff because all, people in government are human. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, I'm just saying like, you know, that I can easily see a, a public campaign that appears to be we're in support of the, the, you know, the Trump, these people who are going through this trauma. Yeah. Um, let's send it to law enforcement. They're the ones who are, you know, they have to, they, it's a sad job, but they're, they're, you know, they're public servants are willing to do it. And now you've cut out the, the that last line of defense. Um, it's not that hard to do. It, it doesn't require sort of a grand conspiracy theory. The, the government and companies do this all the time where they want one thing. They put on a, a much more palatable public face to to build public support for a thing that they wanted to do anyway. The the Patriot Act was originally, you know, chasing down, you know, foreign terrorists. It has 100 percent been abused. And the the majority of the cases it's been used for have been in support of the drug war, not foreign terrorism. So yeah. uh, so they, there is always this sort of public PR um, effort that they have to get what they wanted to get anyway. So, you know, be on the lookout for these kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Joe, you've been pretty quiet. Do you have anything you want to add? No, it's been great discussion. Every, all every point is on point. Appreciate it, guys. <laughs> well, if you want to, I'm going to put a bunch of links in the show notes. I've got them here in my outline. I'll transfer them into the CMS, and you'll be able to get them at nightowl.fm slash hi-fi slash 37. There will be a lot of links uh, to various takes on this. Uh, John Gruber's uh, you know, slippery slope take, uh, you know, just some various things that you might want to check out and read more. We'll put, of course, the Federighi interview with Joanna Stern in there. And, uh, you know, these are just three opinions. Uh, so it's, it's up to you all to, and I think maybe this is the most topic like this that we've ever tackled. It's up to you to, to form your own opinions on this. And, you know, we don't, it's a difficult topic. So be sure to check out these links in the show notes and, and make your, make your own decisions on how you feel about these things. Thank you so much, Kevin, for, for joining us and, and, and talking about this with us. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me on, fellas. Welcome. Is there anything that you want to point people to uh in terms of your, your online presence such as it may be or anything like that uh being a privacy advocate my official answer is <laughs> no <laughs> okay you don't want to send and receive pictures hmm. okay. <laughs> <laughs> joe why don't you tell us about another podcast that you're on yeah catch me on equinox with dr robert carter it's available from the same website as this show that's it for this episode we'll we'll talk to you again in two weeks catch you later Awesome. Very good. That was a great conversation. Thanks for having me on. That was that was fantastic. I enjoyed it. Yeah, that yeah, was a good. tight that was a tight delivery. Uh, let me go ahead and I don't think there's anything to talk about for an after show. Occasionally we do an after show, but often we're too busy. I have a lot of editing to do, so um, mm-hmm. yeah. off the show, uh DJ, did you have any other comment about that new Spider Man trailer? Um, <laughs> oh. Um I I think it's going to be awesome. I'd uh, love to see an Alfred Molina as Doc Ock again. Um, it'd be interesting yes, to see. Yes, I did and, not and, expect him. I'm really excited well, about that. And, and it's a fascinating concept to um, 
to say, look, all these Spider-Man movies that happened before, they just happened in different universes. And, and we have the the tools to do that now. And so Tobey Maguire legit happened. We're not pretending he didn't. And uh, unfortunately, Andrew Garfield <laughs> yeah. did too. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I loved, I, I mean, the second uh, Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movie is probably my favorite. And um, I loved Alfred Molina as Doc Ock. So just yeah, seeing him, here. just that brief appearance in the trailer, I was like, I'm in, you got me. <laughs> yeah, and the allusion to what's his name, the Green Goblin, with his bomb. oh yeah, the laugh, the laugh. Oh, it was yes. in there. It was in there, and it sounded to me Didn't like Willem Dafoe. So we'll see. Kevin, are uh, you into the Spider-Man movies? I have absolutely nothing to add to these. I I, <laughs> <laughs> I am Bummer. so far behind on on all the superhero. Like I don't even think I'm caught up on the Spider-Man movies. Oh well, I'm sorry to hear that. Sony yeah. does make it difficult to watch the Spider-Man movies. I'll, I'll give you that. You either have a life or you have no life. I don't know what that means. I have an eight month old. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, yeah, I understand. Enough said. Yeah, during my twenties, I, I never got around to playing video games. And so I, I literally, um, I literally just made a list of all of the Marvel movies, but in timeline order. Um, and so I, I went, I, I started with, cause, cause they added this to Disney plus, you can go to a spot in Disney plus that they're in timeline order, but, but the Sony movies and the Hulk movie are not in there cause they're not Disney movies. Hmm. So I actually had to uh, fill in some gaps. Um, we watched, uh, the first Captain America, the first Avenger, uh, Sunday night, and we're going to slowly week by week plot our way through the movies in timeline order. So that'll be a fascinating, um, not, not release hmm. order. So that'll be a fascinating watch. I think. See how, kind cool. of how they fit together if you're watching them in the time periods. You know, you know. I think this that's one the happened. way to watch them now. Maybe we'll see. It does make the um, you know, because you have at the at the end of Captain America: The First Avenger, you have that credit scene which happens in the future. So that that makes the credit scenes like that a little interesting. But yeah, I think I still need to see them in release order. Yes, I do recommend release <laughs> order for first watch there. Well, there are, let's see, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27 items on this list. That includes the new TV shows, though. So, <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. You, you should have uh, should have been keeping up as they came out, Kevin. Now you yeah, just have, you no let the kidding. backload pile up and, and you know. Your nerd, creds, your nerd creds are in question. That's all I'm they, saying. Well, <laughs> they they would be, except Joe. Joe, you need to know that right as I was about to open up the uh, uh, Zencaster to be on this thing, I went ahead and mm-hmm. spilled water all over my desk. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't. It couldn't be a bigger nerd thing than that. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. 